Before we get started, gagglers, we want to let you know we recorded this episode on Thursday, September 26th. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about a topic that's on the minds of Americans, the presidential impeachment inquiry. It's underway in the House of Representatives, and we want to give you a sense of what the whole dynamic means for our delegation and for the rest of us. So here's a spoiler alert. For most of our members, their view and their vote on impeaching President Trump is not really a mystery at all but a few of them will have to consider more carefully how they approach this historic investigation. The actions of the Trump presidency revealed the dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of our national security, and betrayal of the integrity of our elections. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. Speaker Pelosi happens to be the Speaker of this House, but she does not speak for America when it comes to this issue. She cannot decide unilaterally what happens here. What, how do you feel about that? I think it's ridiculous. It's a witch hunt. Uh, I'm leading in the polls. They have no idea how they stop me. The only way they can try is through impeachment. This has never happened to a president before. There's never been a thing like this before. It's nonsense. The Senate impeachment rules are very clear. Uh, the Senate would have to take up an impeachment uh, resolution if it came over from the House. The specter of impeachment has hung over the Trump administration almost since the beginning. After the special counsel's investigation into Russian interference landed with a thud, essentially, in Washington earlier this year, it looked like President Trump might be in the clear heading into 2020. That seemed to change in a dramatic way in September when a whistleblower said the president had made an improper promise to a foreign leader. And in the span of a week, the public learned that all of this stemmed from a July phone call with the president of Ukraine, in which Trump pressed for an investigation of Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, spurred by the Ukrainians. According to notes compiled about the call, Trump said he would meet President Vladimir Zelensky at the White House after Zelensky promised to conduct the probe that Trump had asked for. And in a matter of days, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi shifted from resisting impeachment against the wishes of most of her Democratic colleagues to announcing that an inquiry was now underway. We also know that Kurt Volker, the executive director of the McCain Institute, who quit as special envoy to Ukraine amid the impeachment inquiry, is scheduled to testify behind closed doors on October 3rd. President Donald Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, maintains his involvement in Ukrainian matters came at the behest of the State Department. Volker is expected to address that issue in his testimony. That sets the stage for months of investigations and possibly a vote to impeach President Donald Trump ahead of the 2020 election. Ron, beyond the obvious partisan divisions, different members of Arizona's delegation have different stakes in how all of this plays out. Right. So, of course, there's the partisan 
division. Democrats and Republicans just seem to choose their sides naturally these days. But they also have a couple different uh, buckets, really, that we can uh, drop them in. And so it goes from those who are very safe partisans, for example, some uh, who are safe but ambitious, uh, to people who are new and maybe interesting to watch for different reasons. And then we've got two members who could have tough votes. Let's start with the senators, though, because uh, if this goes out of the House, the senators will have to decide whether to convict and remove the president. Um, let's assume for this podcast anyway that that's how this plays out and it ends up in the Senate. So talk about what this means for Democrat Kirsten Cinema. So Cinema is very early in her six-year term. She doesn't face voters again until 2024, and by then... Trump's presidency will be over with, no matter how this all turns out, unless he is somehow successful in <laughs> convincing voters to install him a third time, which that is obviously a very unlikely uh, scenario. So this really, more than any other issue, I think really tests her political brand as an independent because it eventually, one way or the other, is going to draw her into this very politically charged spectacle that is roiling Capitol Hill uh, so far, and we're only hours into this impeachment news, but uh, she has really been able to maintain this political brand of being a very conservative Democrat, almost a political type lawmaker who isn't going to be drawn into all the drama and the chaos that consumes Washington these days. This also seems to come on the heels of an effort by the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party here in Arizona uh, to censure her uh, for being insufficiently supportive of the Democratic agenda. Um, how about Republican Martha McSally? How does all this play out for her? Yes, of course. And for those who don't know, a censure is essentially like a formal punishment. It's essentially making a record that they condemn her actions as a senator. I think I got a few of those censures in middle school, but that's a different story. <laughs> I actually might have gotten like three. <laughs> One hurt. <laughs> but to go back to McSally, she faces voters next year. She's already in campaign mode. Um, and once again, this issue, like no other, really ties her political fortunes directly to President Trump. We all saw the results of the 2018 election when she tied herself to his hip. Uh, she ended up losing that election. There were a lot of other factors, of course, but he weighed heavily on the minds of voters during that cycle. So it's hard to see how she can do anything that would hurt Trump's election chances here in Arizona. But she is really, I think, now trying to walk this line as a pragmatic problem solver who isn't overly partisan, and this issue is going to make it really difficult for her to do that, especially when voters really start to contrast her messaging against that of Mark Kelly. He's the Democrat and the former astronaut <laughs> who is running for um, the Democratic nomination. He clearly doesn't have to take a vote on this, but I think we'll hear him weigh in on this nonetheless. So before any of that can happen with the senators, though, impeachment has to first pass the House. To be clear, the inquiry is expected to primarily stem from the House Intelligence Committee, but the Judiciary Committee could still play a key role. So let's 
talk about what that will mean for each of our nine House members. I'll start with the two people who are super safe and have almost nothing at stake here. Um, first off is Democrat Raul Grijalva. He's the dean of the state's delegation. He's one of the more outspoken liberals in all of Congress. He boycotted Donald Trump's inauguration and voted for an impeachment resolution in 2017. So again, there's not a whole lot of suspense about how he's going to come down on all of this. You could really sort of say the same thing about Republican Paul Gosar. He represents the reddest district in Arizona. He's been assailing Democrats for attacking Trump from the start. And he's asked the Justice Department to look into Vice President Joe Biden's corruption after this whole Ukrainian phone call issue came up. So we know where he comes down on this issue as well. There are others, though, who are holding really safe seats. What about them? Right. So there's Democrat Ruben Gallego on the left and Republican Andy Biggs on the right. Both of them are predictably partisan, as we would expect in all this. I guess what sets them apart, though, is their rising status within their own parties. So Gallego is already an assistant whip for the Democrats. He's a regular on CNN offering the liberals perspective on the news of the day. Um, and Andy Biggs was just selected the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, representing in many ways the right wing of the right wing for Republicans. So he's a member of the House Judiciary Committee also, where a lot of the heavy lifting on impeachment is going to unfold. So expect Andy Biggs to use that microphone to full effect. We also have three members who are sort of newish to the House. And while they've already shown a partisan hand here, they still might be worth watching. Right. So you're talking about Democrats and Kirkpatrick and Greg Stanton. They have supported proceeding with an impeachment inquiry for months now. Republican Debbie Lesko, meanwhile, she's complained about all of this as just a waste of time pretty much since she arrived in Washington last year. All three of them look pretty safe electorally at this point. Kirkpatrick will get to show how far she's willing to move from kind of the centrist who used to represent northeastern Arizona to the person willing to carry the Democratic torch in her Tucson district. Stanton and Lesko are both members of the House Judiciary Committee, and we've seen quite a bit of them this year. Um, but this really kind of gives them a chance to shape very directly the tone of all of this through their their comments on the committee. So we'll see if they can have any sort of breakout moments in all of this. It's also probably worth noting that Stanton is said to be eyeing a gubernatorial run in uh, maybe 2022. So he may need to be more cautious if he's going to try to win a statewide race in a place like Arizona where it's really important for Democrats, as we all know, to to appeal to uh, kind of more apolitical people. So that leaves us with Democrat Tom O'Halloran and Republican David Schweikert. Right. These are the two folks who have probably the most at stake on the House side. Um, O'Halloran's district split on who they wanted in 2016. So they narrowly voted for Trump in 2016. They also voted for Tom O'Halloran, the Democrat, to be their House member. And for historical importance, they also voted for Senator John McCain, who really didn't get along with Donald Trump even then. So uh, talk about mixed messages. Uh, O'Halloran won re-election in 2018, but it was by the narrowest margin of any of Arizona's House races. So there's at least the threat that he could be in for a tough race. 
It's worth noting that he faces a challenge on his left from a Democrat who's from Slovakia, which actually neighbors Ukraine, and possibly... What? Really? Yes. Eva Putsova, a former Flagstaff City Council member, is running against him. Oh, my gosh. Who comes from the neighborhood, as it turns out. I can't wait to read that story, Ron. Right. And then we also have maybe a challenge on his right from Arizona Diamondbacks legend Kurt Schilling, who is a big Trump supporter, has always been uh, sort of MAGA before MAGA was popular, and he may run against Tom O'Halloran. So again, Tom is sort of feeling the squeeze. He was the only Democrat in Arizona's House delegation who really hadn't already sketched out his thinking on impeachment and sort of issued this guarded statement when uh, Nancy Pelosi came out and said that we're proceeding. He said he supports an investigation. He didn't even say impeachment. So he's trying to walk a line here. So it just dawned on me that his language totally mirrors cinemas, right? Like, I support kind of the rule of law, and this is a process, and we're going to go through the process, and Americans deserve transparency, and they, you know, Congress deserves to know what happened during that phone call. It'll be interesting how he plays it moving forward. So what about Schweikert? Right. So David Schweikert is sort of um, the the one person on the Republican side who's feeling a little heat this year. He's got uh, Democrats already looking at his traditionally Republican district. This is the Scottsdale area, um, basically. And um, it's very suburban, relatively well-educated, relatively affluent. Well, these are all the demographics where Democrats really feel like they've made inroads in the last few years, and they see this as a seat that they should naturally be more competitive in. Add to that the fact that Schweikert is also facing a House Ethics Committee investigation for uh, alleged misspending by both his campaign and his district office. So um, he has a well-funded Democratic challenger who has actually outraised him uh, to this point in Hiral Tipperneni. There are two other women running against him in that race as well. So Schweikert has a fairly competitive race, possibly on his hands. And the question is, how does he finesse all of that? He's never been especially Trumpy, but he's certainly been on board with the GOP agenda. And now he's got to find a way rhetorically to sort of support the party without being overtly supportive necessarily of conduct that people might not find that that good. And as of this taping, he hasn't weighed in, has he? Well, he has said that, you know, he sees this as being really kind of uh, pointless and will only backfire on Democrats, but he hasn't uh, directly addressed the underlying allegations, like making an effort to strong arm a foreign leader into intervening in the elections. And I should add, you know, that's been sort of the Republican playbook on this from all the House members. They're not defending what was said necessarily. They're just sort of interpreting it. And pointing fingers back at the Democrats and look at how foolish they're being and this is going to backfire. Okay. So for everyone keeping score at home, remember we have two senators, one Republican, one Democrat. The Democrats sort of being cagey about her views on this and the Republicans saying this is going to backfire on Democrats. And then among our nine House members, we have five Democrats and four Republicans, all four of the Republicans really kind of throwing cold water on this in various ways. And at least four of the five Democrats really being supportive of impeachment 
before all of this came out with the Ukrainian phone call and one other who is now on board with an investigation. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. We've talked about how all of this affects our delegation. And yes, that's important. But it also affects the rest of us. Right. It certainly affects us. (laughs) We'll be writing a few stories about this in the coming weeks, I'm guessing. But more seriously, this really affects the public as well. Um, This Congress hasn't exactly been knocking out all kinds of historic, impactful legislation But um, it does mean that other kinds of legislative business will definitely become third or fourth order instead of even second order now. Um, What do you what kinds of things can you think of now that will just sort of fall by the way? Well, I mean, I think Republicans and Democrats, especially vulnerable Republicans facing election in 2020, are really hoping for some action on some of these areas that they could be vulnerable on, healthcare-related measures, prescription drugs, uh, you know, pricing on prescription drugs. There's major legislation in Congress right now that um, I think people like Martha McSally need to get over the finish line to, you know, help protect their flanks on some of these big arguments pertaining to issues that are really on the minds of Arizona voters. And so, that you know, this probably is just going to drive both parties into their partisan quarters, and whatever little space is there right now for bipartisan agreement probably shrinks even further. Yeah, I mean, I, I can think of things like rural broadband access is something that people have talked about on both sides of the aisle for a while now, but there's just not that much appetite for something like that amid all of this. I can also think of the USMCA agreement. This is NAFTA 2.0. This is something that really is important for Arizona. You're talking about directly with trade with Mexico, our number one foreign trade partner. And this is something that also, you know, again, the appetite to take up something like that amid this kind of food fight uh, in the parties really seems to be uh, questionable. Well, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And if you want to lodge your opinion or complaint or observations with your elected official, you can go to Senate.gov or House.gov find their phone numbers online and give them a call. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.